Hey, what's up, guys and gals? It's Sean. I'm here in New York. This week, we're going to do a very special broadcast specific to impeachment. Anyone that's been watching the news in the last three years knows that word has been thrown out so often in regard to the current presidency that it might have lost some of its flair, some of its pomp and circumstance, some of its pageantry, one might argue. But nonetheless, there's a lot of questions which go into what is impeachment, historically, how has it been used, and why is it such a contentious point right now between members of the House, Senate, and then obviously coming down through the political boundaries that really define the United States landscape right now. Today, what we're going to cover is the general function of impeachment, a brief history, give you an idea of who can actually be impeached and what those grounds for impeachment are with some examples. And then we're going to talk about non-criminal misconduct because this happens more than not to be the reason why individuals are removed from office or where grounds for impeachment are even brought. Then we're going to talk about the procedure for impeachment through the House and then the Senate. And finally, we're going to finish up on the importance of the Constitution, both from the start and infancy in our country, going up through modern days. A brief spoiler alert, at no point are we going to really get into the nitty-gritty of what the current impeachment process looks like and analyze if President Trump can be impeached, should be impeached. We'll cover some of that information on subsequent weekly dispatches where you can draw from our presentation of the facts what you believe the right course of action is, or you can go and do some research reading different news outlets. But that being said, let's get after it. Let's get some impeachment going. One of the great things about going back to school, school, is the opportunity to go and sit in on lectures, classes, and participate in events that as an undergrad I didn't take advantage of, and as a general citizen I didn't even know existed. The New York State Bar Association put together this great forum we had a great speaker come by, and he kind of gave a historical rundown of impeachment and what it meant for the country from a very theoretical point of view. But from that, we were presented with a huge treasure trove of documents, as well as some reading material, which I've painstakingly and joyfully gone through because it's something that I find interesting is one of the reasons why I enjoy studying law so much is because there is such a huge history uh, from all the precedent that has been set from the beginning and foundations of this country and what separated us between the monarchy that we came from and where we present ourselves now as a global democracy. But in general, what impeachment is, is a constitutional remedy to address serious offenses against the system of government. And it's the first step in a remedial process that of removal from public office and responsible disqualifications from holding further office for individuals that we find guilty. And the purpose of impeachment is not supposed to be a punishment. The function is primarily to maintain 
that constitutional government essentially creating this good faith bargain between elected individuals and the individuals that voted for these representatives. Historically, impeachment proceedings have been initiated more than 60 times since we've adopted the Constitution. 19 of these cases have actually resulted in impeachment by the House, notable individuals, President Andrew Johnson in 1868, the Secretary of War, William W. Belknap in 1876, which is probably my third favorite Secretary of War, if we have to list them, obviously. Senator William Blount in 1797, President William J. Clinton, also known as Silly Willie Bill in 1998, if you are around for that, uh, and then 15 federal judges. But what is really important to know is that only eight impeachments have actually led to Senate convictions, and all of them were federal judges. You might be scratching your head right now going, wait, I thought if you were found guilty of impeachment, you were removed. Well, this is what is so important to understand is that the House brings about hearings for impeachment and votes on them to impeach an individual, but then it still has to go to the Senate. An impeachment is instituted through a written accusation, and that's called the Article of Impeachment, which is not to be confused with an impeachment inquiry. The Articles of Impeachment, or just the single article, states the offense that the individual should be charged with, and then kind of serves as a purpose similar to that of an indictment. Again, but not supposed to be something that's with a punishment. The power of impeachment is bifurcated by the Constitution, and that means that the House of Representatives are given the sole power of impeachment, and then the Senate is given the sole power to trial impeachments. Which brings us to the next point. Who can actually be impeached? The first person that everyone thinks of is the president, but the vice president can also be impeached and all civil officers of the United States. They are all subject to removal under the impeachment clause of the Constitution, which is section two. Uh, a private citizen who has held no public office may not be impeached. So for many of us, this is just such a bummer, you know? That's just the one thing everyone wanted was to put that impeachment on their resume. And individuals underneath that civil officer term uh, are appointed by the president under Article 2, Section 3, Clause 2 of his power. That term is not broad enough, though, to include military officers because we are subject to our own disciplinary measures within the UCMJ. So for all of you guys out there that were thinking, man, I'm in the military, there's a chance I could be impeached. Sorry, you have to run for public office and be appointed. Caveat, a member of Congress is not a civil officer within the meeting of the impeachment provisions of the Constitution either. Other individuals that are, though, are federal judges. They're subject to the removal, and if you go back a couple minutes ago in the impeachment beginnings, uh, we talked about the only people that have actually been convicted of impeachment through the Senate vote are all federal judges. So generally, the grounds for impeachment. The Constitution has defi defined these grounds for impeachment as, quote-unquote here, anything that counts as treason. They don't have anything that counts as I added that. I don't know why. I'm so nervous. Treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. That's such a fancy way of saying anything that's outside of common sense. 
The phrase high crimes and misdemeanors has been very broadly interpreted. The framers of the Constitution speak better than I do. Clearly, this is not my day. They adopted that phrase from English practices. That's why I'm talking with such a high and mighty tone. Misdemeanors and high crimes, boy, I really hope I know my rights. I don't know what accent that was. Anywho, an offense must be serious or substantial in nature to provide grounds for impeachment. This requirement flows from that specific language that was in the crimes. And there's some authority, though, to the contrary, uh, because it's generally accepted that the adjective high modifies misdemeanors as well as crimes. So it's now a question of what does that word modify? So when we come down and look at crimes that are committed, does it really have to be a subjective or an objective standard? And to determine whether or not an act or course of conduct is sufficient in law to support an impeachment, that resort must be had to this eternal principle of right and wrong, and then that's applied to the public's propriety and civil morality. And that's changed greatly throughout the course of history from George Washington's era to ours. So what we eventually have to look at is that this offense must be prejudicial to the public interest, and it must flow from a willful intent or reckless disregard of duty. So that's what we should really kind of look at. High crimes and misdemeanors really just mean you are doing something that is so contrary to the public interest, public policy, the general idea of being a good dude or dudette, that we should approach this and say, hey, this guy should be investigated at a minimum for impeachment proceedings. The most recent presidential impeachment goes back to 1998. The Committee of the Judiciary recommended to the House four articles of impeachment against President Clinton, two of which the House actually adopted when they went to the vote. And what those were were charges that President Clinton provided perjurious testimony to a federal grand jury and then obstruction of justice in federal civil action. And this goes back to lying under oath about an extramarital affair. But then when it left the House and he had this impeachment investigation begun and it was voted on in the Senate, President Clinton was then acquitted in the Senate on both those articles the House adopted. The next time in our country that we had an impeachment process was back in 1974 with President Nixon as a result of charges that were arising out of his 1972, not personally, break-in at the Democratic National Headquarters in the Watergate office building, which if you watch Forrest Gump, he's actually the reason why Nixon's cronies got caught because he was trying to sleep. The Committee on the Judiciary recommended to the House three articles of impeachment against President Nixon in July of 74, and those articles charged him with the abuse of his presidential powers, obstruction of justice, and contempt of Congress. President Nixon subsequently resigned, and once he resigned, that terminated further action on the issue, even though those actions and issues were accepted and adopted by the House uh, further uh, for a vote. And then the next major president that was brought for grounds of impeachment happened back in 1868 after the Civil War. That was President Andrew Johnson. 
And that was on the grounds that he violated the Tenure of Office Act by dismissing a cabinet chief. We're going to talk about this in a little bit and what separates this specific example from actual impeachment inquiries and charges and what the president and his powers are actually allowed to do because that was actually incorrect when we look back and apply the terms from the Constitution to that vote. But we go back to some of these events because if you look at the conduct of the presidents, you might step back and ask yourself if they violated any crime. Certainly, I'm not aware of every single small regulation or statute that these individuals had to follow. And that comes from the idea of non-criminal misconduct. And in the history of the impeachments under Constitution, the most closely debated issue has been whether impeachment is limited to offenses indictable under criminal law or at least to offenses that constitute crimes. And that goes back to the idea of misdemeanors uh, in the impeachment clause extending to non-criminal misconduct as well. So how far can we really stretch these words out to say that an individual is quote-unquote guilty? The historical evidence establishes that the phrase, I'm going to try a different accent, this guy's, I really want to go for British. These high crimes, and oh, I can't do it again. Damn it, high crimes and misdemeanors. So over the period of centuries, as we said before, evolved from the English standards of impeachable conduct and had really special and distinctive meanings and were referred to in the category of offenses that then subverted the system of government. So it goes back again, a government person that was appointed or voted like the president, vice president was doing something that was not being a good dude. Common theme here, be a good dude if you ever get to these positions. So all that leads us now to the House of Representatives where all of the news has been focused for the last, say, two and a half weeks as an investigation has not yet been started, but an inquiry has. An inquiry can literally go into anything. If they wanted to do an inquiry into why our stickers are so dope, they could do that. If they wanted to go into an inquiry to why Cronus Fit athletes in general are just the best-looking people in the gym. I think that'd be a really easy inquiry to get answers from, but they could do that as well. If they wanted to do an inquiry into why pushing yourself to be somebody and be better than you were yesterday through using ChronosFit, they could. So an inquiry does not have to be something that the entire house has to agree on. It can literally be anything that through one of the committees, individuals can bring topics up they want to be inquired into. But generally, for the impeachment process, under modern practices, an impeachment is normally instituted by the House by the adoption of a resolution calling for a committee investigation of charges against the officer in question. And that, that officer, again, is the civil officer or the president or vice president. And then afterwards, the committee, through investigations, can recommend the dismissal of charges or can recommend impeachment where then it goes for a vote. Following the adoption of a resolution to impeach, the House appoints managers to conduct the impeachment trial, which then goes to the Senate. When this resolution reaches the Senate, the Senate advises the House as to when the Senate will receive the managers which are appointed by the House, and then they have their own little trial within the Senate. And this makes everything else 
not important. The only thing going on there is that radio is the impeachment process. In most cases, the impeachment proceedings in the House have been initiated either by introducing a resolution of of impeachment through the hopper or by offering a resolution of impeachment on the floor as a question of privilege for the House. So somebody that puts it in the hopper and says, we should do this, or someone brings it as a topic to the House floor for a vote and then investigation. But in the House, various events have been credited with setting an impeachment process in motion. And these processes are, and I quote, uh, a petition from one or more citizens, so individuals in the country can raise this point to Congress, and I think it's been raised now for three years, uh, in a message from the president. In this case, I think that's really unlikely that that would actually happen. Transmitted from the legislature of a state, so if a state's super pissed off, they could hear it another grand jury investigation, or an independent counsel investigation, which would also not qualify if you looked at, like, the FBI's investigation of the Mueller report. Uh, That's just a separate investigation. That is not what's meant through an independent counsel investigation. So now, procedurally, we're at the point where the House of Representatives has this resolution, and it needs to be referred to a committee. And that committee is typically the committee on the judiciary. Uh, And so it's kind of privileged as to the review. Everyone that's on the judiciary committee has a law degree, so they can look through this through a legal lens, and they can really understand the words, which is something that even going through school is very frustrating because you think something means one thing, like you will do this or you shall do this. Well, will is construed through legal precedent as a promise. I promise to do this. I will do this. Where shall does not have any performance requirements. It does not mean you shall respond in this manner. Typically has been read as you can. It's strongly recommended that you should, but that is not the only course of performance that you are allowed to do per this contract, per this agreement. So that's some of the frustrating parts I think we can all agree on. But once it goes to the committee to be investigated, the committee investigates, has a hearings and procedures. There are special rules and procedures adopted by each committee and by the House uh, for that inquiry. And then it comes back to the House and that committee rep- recommends some course of action. Hey, we either think we should go through with the vote or we should scrap it. But that does not mean that they have to scrap it. So if the Judiciary Committee comes back and recommends, we don't see anything here, let's just kick this tin down the road. Let's all go to the gym. Let's see the five rep max for every individual member here. They could go, nope, we got to vote on this real quick, guys. Sorry to delay your pre-workout from kicking in. Additionally, you can also have debates or motions for the impeachment. Uh, Because under the general rules, the House needs to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to either voice their pleasure or displeasure with the process. And a wide range of debate is permitted on these impeachment proposals. And a member may refer to the political, social, or even the familial background of the accused in this process. But at the end of the day, they have to have a vote on it before it goes to the Senate. Now we find ourselves in the Senate. Did everyone take that 
quick walk through the Capitol with me there? Did we all hear the footsteps on the marble? You guys see the grand statues? Walk past all of the senators lining, columns lining, pictures lining your walk? Okay, now that we're there and you can picture it, I hope you didn't get into a car accident and just that riveting description of our nation's capital. Now we're in the Senate. Okay, so the Senate is much like a trial. The presentation of evidence follows a traditional sequence. The evidence against the accused is first presented by the managers from the House. Uh, evidence in defense is then presented by the accused. And then the concluding evidence is presented by managers. So it's a back and forth, back and forth. The accused is permitted to testify in answering the charges contained in the articles. So modern times, this would give President Trump, if he wanted to, an opportunity to come and defend himself. Counsel is permitted to appear to be heard, to argue on preliminary and other questions, and then to deliver opening and final arguments. So in this case, you could say someone like Rudy Giuliani could go to the Senate, and then while he's at the Senate, could present arguments for President Trump in lieu of President Trump going. But at the end of the day, voting in judgment under the Constitution, two-thirds of the senators present are required to convict an accused individual on an article of impeachment. And then following that vote, uh, the Constitution provides for the removal from office on conviction and also allows for further judgment of disqualifications from holding further office for that individual. So that is a deep-down, quick-and-dirty idea of how impeachment goes. For the 15-second story, someone in the House brings it up. House subcommittee reviews it with the Judiciary Committee, goes to a vote in the House. If it passes, goes to the Senate for trial. If it passes and is voted on by two-thirds, individual is impeached. Now, to give some context, if you want to go and research this, the relevant constitutional provisions, Article 1, Section 2, is the tall is the talking point for the House of Representatives, having the sole power of impeachment. Section 3 of Article 1 is where it talks about the Senate having sole power to try the impeachments. And then we run into the problem because a lot of times, even though it's only been successful against federal judges, can the president pardon himself? What powers are presented to the president of the United States? Article 2, Section 2 is where we talk about the president having the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses. Okay, but then Article 2, Section 4, the President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for the conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Except in cases of impeachment, uh, can they not have the power of reprieves granted or pardons granted. So you cannot be pardoned for these offenses is the very long way of me telling you you can't pardon someone that has been impeached. Okay, so now we've talked about this. We're going to go back in history and talk about where did we get the idea of impeachment from? Why is impeachment so critical to our nation's history? And why was it so important when we were drafting the Constitution, the subsequent Federalist Papers, excuse me, the preceding Federalist Papers that we grew from, why was it so important that we had an opportunity to remove 
an authoritative position of power that was voted on. And this goes back to the idea when we were first framing the Constitution, the question of what does the executive look like? And the backdrop to this is we've got the American Revolution and the monarchy. We're coming from a position in which we have been ruled by a British tyrant and who has been ordained by God, who is the subject matter of everything for an empire that stretches the globe. The redcoats are everywhere. Well, Alexander Hamilton created this idea of a chief executive. But in order to make sure we just don't create ourselves another king, we said, okay, we need to make sure we have an impeachment provision. George Mason says that we have to have a right of impeachment in order to continue this legacy that we are a free society. And these grounds for impeachment from George Mason is why the provision was not just kept to individuals uh, for acts of treason and bribery. We have to have like some sort of bad act. We have to have something other than just the most egregious of crimes be substituted for a lesser crime in order to make sure that that position, that public policy is represented and in our vote and we are not being led by someone who does not really bear the true values of America. And this goes back to just kind of the, the good dude uh, practice we were talking about. Uh, words are supposed to be closed, uh, but not have that much of a very broad linguistic uh, intent. They weren't supposed to be open-ended so that we couldn't really understand what people were saying. And so as we are drafting this, uh, Hamilton's Federalist Papers first brought up the idea of an abuse or violation of the public trust. And then as we are ratifying the Constitution, back in Virginia, he brought up the idea that individuals should not be able to pardon as a security to justice. And that to, a, a take care clause uh, should not be looked at as a serious means to remove an individual from office. I mean, and that goes back to the idea that in the uh, president's oath, he says that he has to take care, you know, to preside and do all the great things that a president has to do. Because it's not very clear that the act would be completely covered unless we started adding something like these high crimes and misdemeanors. So what is, you know, the magnitude of an offense that we use as a determination for if individuals are truly guilty of something worthy of impeachment. At the end of the day, what we looked at when the drafters of the Constitution were moving from the Federalist Papers was ensuring the public that, and this is what Justice Brandeis said years ago in more modern times, that the highest office in the land is that of the citizens, which is really powerful because all along what these individuals, very smart individuals, were doing back in the day from a forward-looking perspective was ensuring that the White House comms, as you call them, these white lies that are coming out, or these falsities, or trying to influence foreign governments through a way which is not at the core American and just really insufficient to 
what the expectation is for a president should be used and held against as a measure of when a person has done something wrong. So this also goes back to what we talked about earlier with President Johnson, and we said we're going to bring him up. When he fired his secretary of steak, steak, clearly this vegan diet has me thinking about meat. God, that was a Freudian slip. Okay, so he fired the Secretary of State. Remember, my fourth favorite. But that power is derivative of the position of the president. So he didn't violate the law. But that being said, mistakes of law uh, flying in the face of you are not impeachable. So if you go out and you accidentally run a red light as the president, you can't be impeached for that. So long as you are making a good faith effort not to break the law like that, you, you can't be impeached. Okay? So, so that idea kind of stems now from what do you have to do because there are so many events that Democrats in the last three years have pointed to President Trump, said he should be impeached for this, and Republicans in the past with President Obama were grumbling he should be impeached for that. The Constitution, when it comes to the trial, once we get to the Senate, is really silent to procedure. And reasonable doubt is really difficult to prove if you're trying to say that an individual did what they are guilty of. And the idea that you're being denied due process, like for current examples into the inquiry, uh, for cross-examination, it's not a criminal proceedings, okay? Uh, this is not part of the procedure of an inquiry. So you don't have to have cross-examination right now. That's something that later, once you go to the Senate, if you have a trial, that is the opportunity for cross-examination, for having your counsel question, for bringing the evidence in those back-and-forth moments that we talked about with the job of the Senate. But I think something that is really unique and what we'll close on here is the history of this country, Okay, and we wrote the Constitution way back at the end of the 1700s when America was so different. And we look back at the drafters of a Constitution. You know, it's like, we the people, all men are created equal. Well, at that time, were all men truly created equal? What was the value of a white man's vote at that time compared to a white woman's vote. White women could not vote. Women could not vote. If you were a person of color, you definitely couldn't vote, and you were enslaved. So why do we put so much stock in a piece of paper that when it was drafted, was drafted at a time when we had such a disparity in freedom in this country, when we had questionable genocide historically looking back at a time with the native population of the Americas and how they were treated over the course of 250 years, it seems and can be argued that the process could be reviewed and changed. It goes back to the Bill of Rights that is such a hot topic for most Americans, especially when it comes down the political aisle and is a really easy way to separate people is these freedoms that we were provided were not freedoms for everybody. So can we say that now, using the Constitution as a reference for how we should act now, is even responsible? 
And if it isn't, what is the course ahead? But because America has shifted so much over the last 250 years, what we can look to for the Constitution is providing a base. Because even with all the things that from the Declaration of Independence, from the Constitution and all the amendments that have been added, as this country has grown, we have found that the power of the vote, the power of legislation, has allowed the Constitution to evolve some, to the point where back when Martin Luther King was going through the Civil Rights Movement, he said, if we are wrong, then the Constitution is wrong. And I think that's a really powerful message, because when you're fighting for something that historically was not present during the time of the drafting of the document that sets the framework legally for the entire country, it is really important that you maintain that fight and you maintain that focus and you do something great with that day that you provided in order to either affect the interpretation of that document in the future or to ratify that document. So I'm not going to sit here and say that the Constitution is perfect and there's some major gaps when it comes to the impeachment process, just as one example that we've been talking for about half an hour today. But it provides us as citizens the capability and the right to go become elected members of this great body and either write on information that makes the interpretation easier or makes access to interpretation easier or makes it easier to perform a certain action which might be hamstringed in that bifurcated process. So just food for thought. Super happy if you guys are still listening to this. I'm sorry if this droned on. I just think it's really important that as Americans, one, we get out there and vote, and two, we have an opportunity to understand with all the resources out there what is really going on when the news won't talk about it. The news is either going to tell you about the inquiry as the actual investigation, or they're going to tell you that an investigation has already started. But I hope now after listening to this podcast, you've had an opportunity and we've given you some insight as to what the impeachment inquiry versus the impeachment investigation really looks like. And I hope that you guys have a great week. Next week, we'll get back to the weekly dispatch, picking up all the really super positive news that has just really become the hallmark of this podcast. Continue to check out Brain Body Bobby for all the great health topics. And as always, hit us up with any questions at hq at chronosfit.org or on Instagram or Facebook. Love putting out the content. We have some great athletes out there. Get after it. Be somebody. Peace.